Hey everyone, Josh Case here, your online campus pastor here at Calvary Christian Center. Welcome to our podcast. May today's message bring healing, hope, and ultimately transformation. Hope you enjoy today's message. Let's praise the Lord, everybody. All right, precious, stand for the reading of God's word. That is my custom. I love the Lord today. How many of you love him? I'm a lover of his presence, and I don't apologize for that reality. We're in our REAP series. We have more vision than we've ever had. The last 25 years, God has been good, but I want to echo what the song says. Our best days are in front of us, not behind us. On Sacred Sunday, we had 500 more people just on this campus in our services than we had just one year ago. Our church is exploding in growth. That Sunday, we had between four and 5,000 people that worshiped just in our Florida campuses, not counting all of our campuses across the nation. How many of you are glad to be in a church that's making an impact across the nation? And I can tell you that with everything within me, I want to be in the present tense of God. I don't want to be where God was, and I don't even want to get ahead of Him. But I want to walk in cadence with the Lord. This series is called REAP. And REAP stands for revival. How many of you want revival with apostle? Evangelism, assimilation. That means we're going to make disciples and then prayer. And all of that naturally flows together in a church that's in revival. Because when you have revival, there's evangelism. When there's evangelism, there's assimilation. But prayer is the bedrock of all of it. So today I'm going to teach one more time on revival. I want to hear from the people who are ready for revival. Come on, are you ready? I'm going to read one verse today, and then I'm just going to unpack this, and I want you to open your hearts. I've been with the Lord, and I believe he has a word for you. God, Habakkuk 3.2, I've heard what our ancestors say about you, mom and them, grandma and them. I've heard what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped in my tracks. I'm down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Come on, somebody. Work among us as you worked among them. Send a revival of your works. How many of you want him to send a revival of miracles, signs, and wonders? As you bring judgment, as you surely must, in wrath, remember mercy. How many of you want mercy today? I want to preach for a few minutes along these lines, atmospheres of revival. Who wants to be in an atmosphere of revival? Slip up your hands, Father. Let the anointing come in here as I preach and teach. Let this atmosphere be charged with revival. God, show us, teach us, guide us in this process of hearing your voice. And do among us what you did among the early church. Pour out revival and we'll give you praise. Somebody give the Lord the ovation of the morning. Come on. If you're revival ready, come on and give him praise right now. 
You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. God, I've heard of what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped dead in my tracks, down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. Send a revival of your works as you bring judgment, as you surely must. In wrath, remember mercy. I'm glad for a merciful God. Is there anybody here today only because of the mercy of God? I'm looking for the people who don't even deserve to be in the room, but you're here because of God's mercy. Can I find two or three in the house today? Many of you know the mission of our church. We exist to pursue revival, to build unity, to release purpose, and to leave legacy. I've taught that, and that's really the direction of this house. But make no mistake about it. First and foremost, we pursue revival. And no matter how much we grow, no matter how many traffics, or no matter how many campuses we start, if there are traffic jams trying to get into our campuses, if we have 700 people saved to service, I want you to understand that we will never stop pursuing revival. Because if I have studied revival in the recent days, I've come to understand that the only time revival ever stopped happening when there were major moves of the Holy Spirit was when other things came to the forefront and people began to pursue titles or opportunities. They began to pursue stages. And in those moments, revival stopped. But I have made up in my mind that Calvary, everything we cover, we are going to perpetually pursue revival and awakening. Is there anybody there? And you say, Apostle, I'll do that with you. I'll pursue revival. If that's you, lift up a praise before the Lord right now. The text that we just read in Habakkuk is so powerful. And really, if you study the book of Habakkuk, the first couple of chapters is just a conversation between the prophet and between God. The nation here is in trouble, and Habakkuk is prophesying of the coming invasion of the Babylonians. He's troubled because Judah in his lifetime had enjoyed such a time of revival and favor. They had a righteous king named Josiah, but suddenly things shifted and things changed. And now the nation has slipped into lethargy and compromise and sin and adultery. And Habakkuk sees the favor of the Lord lifting off of his nation. And he knows that judgment is coming. And so much so, he realizes it so amazingly and so intensely that at the end of our verse, he knows that judgment is coming and his hearts cry because he loves his nation. He says, in wrath, remember mercy. He said, even though we may deserve wrath, just remember that you have a remnant, that you still have a people within a people. And the reality is that Habakkuk is trying in this moment to understand the ways of God because God is about to use the Babylonians to bring judgment to Judah. And this prophet who has this eagle eye and sees it coming in the spirit, he tries to understand why are you using the Babylonians to judge us? Because they're more wicked than we are. Why are you using them to judge us? Because they have more problems than we have. And that tells me two things. Number one, don't judge somebody because they sin differently than you do. 
Oh, it's quiet in here. Where's all the things that are going to change people that was just having church with me? Isn't it funny how we look at our issues with a telescope, but we look at other people's issues with a microscope? Come on, somebody. And you don't need to judge someone because they sin differently than you do. But the second thing you've got to take from this is the fact that God judges his people differently. God did not hold the Babylonians responsible to the level that he held the Jewish people responsible because there is a, there is a responsibility that comes to those who have a knowledge and an understanding of God. So God will require more of his church than he does of the world. And there are things that the world can get by with that you and me can't get by with because we know too much about the Lord. Come on, somebody. So here Habakkuk is. He, he sees this incredible swing in the atmosphere of Judah. They go from an atmosphere of revival and power and goodness and grace to suddenly, if you read the, hook, the book of Habakkuk, you find out there's trouble, there's plundering, there's violence, there's strife, there's compromise, there's contention, there's perversion, there's unfairness. There's unequitable judgment. Sounds a lot like America. Come on, somebody. Habakkuk saw trouble and sin everywhere. And the whole world seemed to be broken down. And this man who knew revival is now hungry for God to revive them again. He said, Lord, now we're just surviving. But I want you to take our nation from survival to revival. And it was from this place of personal prophetic visitation and a desperate desire for revival that Habakkuk penned the words, God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you and I'm stopped down, I'm stopped in my tracks and I'm down on my knees. He said, do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. Send revival to your works, oh God. How many of you can say, I'm right there with you, apostle. I want God to do among us what he did among the early church. I want there to be outpourings. I want there to be cities burning in revival. I want to see families saved. I want to see bodies healed. I want to see young people transformed. I want to see families put back together. I want to see miracles and wonders. Is there anybody that can say, God, that's what I want. Do among us what can he do with y'all? I said, can he do it? Give him praise if you're hungry for it just like that. He's longing, he's longing for revival now to fall again on his nation. Even though they were broken down as a people, he knew the same God that rained down judgment could rain down revival. If he could find a hungry people, he is asking the God of wonders to be that God again. He's asking that miracle worker to do miracles again. 
He understood anything that God ever was, he ever is. And anything God could ever do, he could do again. He wanted revival. He was only satisfied with revival. Nothing else would do. He wanted an awakening. He wanted a move of God. And in that desperation, he said, that's all I'll settle for is a move of God. And I'm telling you, I stand before you today. And I just had my birthday. And y'all know that I'm not as young as I was, but I'm not all that old. Come on, somebody. But the reality of it all is this. I want revival today more than I've ever wanted it in my life. I want awakening today more than I've ever wanted it in my life. I want this house to burn and everything to recover to burn like I've never wanted it in my life. And what I need is a people who will rise with me and say, Apostle, I want to get in that pursuit with you. in that atmosphere of desperation that he begins to cry out for revival because he had tasted it before and now nothing else will do. John Kilpatrick led the greatest revival of my generation. Many of you know about the Brownsville revival. It literally shook our nation. I was sitting with Pastor John Kilpatrick and that revival was led by him as the pastor and apostle. But there was an evangelist named Steve Hill who was a teen challenge graduate who did not seem like he would have been the obvious choice to lead a revival like that. But God had delivered him, saved him, sanctified him, brought him out of drug addiction and set him on the largest stage in the world at that moment. And there was an outpouring of revival. And I say, God, do among us what you did among them. And I sat with John Kilpatrick several months ago at Seasons 52 in Orlando him and a young person who had been in that revival. And I say a young person in her 30s, she was in kids' church when that revival hit. And it was about 3.30 or 4, they finally brought the kids in. And that's the first Sunday that it poured out. And they both began to weep. They were trying to talk about it. And the girl said, I've never seen anything like that in my life. And John Kilpatrick starts trying to talk to me and starts weeping profusely. And then he said these words. He said, once you tuck your knees under the table of revival, he said, nothing else will do. Once you tuck your knees under a table where there's glory and power and presence and outpouring, he said you can't ever go back to just religion. You can't ever go back to just denominationalism. Is there anybody here that can say, God, I'm ready for an outpouring just like that? If that's you, give the Lord a radical praise right now. I've studied revivals of the past most recently. They all point to certain things and they all have, for lack of a better term, certain heat signatures. There's things that occurred during this, these revivals. In the 1730s and the 1740s, there occurred a revival called the Great Awakening. And this revival was led here in America 
by Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. It was a revival, y'all, that was ignited by young people. Teenagers and young adults got desperate for God and their hunger swept the nation and even went into Europe and it caused an awakening. Then in 1857, there was a man in New York City who started praying every day at noon for revival, a businessman, and he prayed by himself. And then all of a sudden, men began to come until there were 10,000 men a day in New York City who were bowing their knees and crying out for revival. It brought such a move of God that revival swept the nation. And they said that there were cities that had a thousand percent increase in church attendance. When you compare the size of the population from those days to this day, it would be like 36 million people came to Jesus in that revival where men prayed. I wonder if there's anybody ready to see revival that gives us tens of millions of people coming into the kingdom in a mighty way. Now, we've always known for centuries that the women with their nurturing hearts and their willingness to intercede and their sensitivity to the Holy Spirit have really been the glue in many cases that have held the church together. Can I get a witness from honest folk? How about the church mothers that kept praying? Y'all, I dare you right now to thank God for the women that held on for the men, even when the men were going crazy. It's true that women interceded. So we see a revival then where young people are there. And then later we see a revival that swept the nation where men seem to rise up and shake off the constraints and shake off the preconceived ideas of what a man would be. And they got desperate to intercede. But then in 1906, there was an outpouring at Azusa Street. Here in Black History Month, it's a good time to remember that the man who led the revival that brought the outpouring of the Holy Ghost was an African-American man. Come on, somebody. How many of y'all know God pours his spirit out and uses whoever he wants to? And an African-American man and a white man came together, a white man named Parham, and they came together and began to pray. And God used William Seymour, and he stepped out and led this revival. And what shocked the nation was that it was all different races of people that were coming together for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. How many of y'all know that when God pours his spirit out, he pours it out on all flesh? So God used this great and mighty bishop to bring an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
And what happened? Where there is revival, there's increase. And where there's revival, new things happen. And new churches start. And when there was an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in 1906, nobody even knew anything about Pentecost. Nobody in America even knew much about the outpouring. But now, if you look across the world, more than one-third of the church is now Pentecostal. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the power of God. In Africa, half the church is Pentecostal. The fastest growing part of the church now is Pentecostal because when there's revival, churches start and outpourings come. How many of you are ready for a multicultural revival? So last Sunday, y'all know what happened. It got undone in this house. It got a little bit crazy. And I don't know if you noticed, but over here were young people. In fact, just show that clip. All them young people. Now watch this. All them men, men on the stage. And then you look, red, yellow, black, and white on the stage. Look at the men, look at the young people, look at the diversity. Okay, that's good. So watch this. I said, Lord, do among us what you did among them. Can't you roll it all up and bring us young people and multicultural people and men and let's have revival like we ain't never seen it before. If you're ready for revival just like that, open your mouth and give God a praise. So, when I saw that and then I studied, I said, devil, you're in trouble now. Because we got all different kinds of people who are part of this ministry. And then you got young people on the stage dancing. They ain't in the club. Come on, somebody. How many of y'all know revival is greater than razzles? Can I get a witness in the house? I said revival is greater than razzles, huh? Come on, I'd rather be in the church than the club. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all young people say, I, listen, when I got saved, I didn't quit dancing. I just changed partners. Can I get a witness in this house? And then I looked at the multicultural part. And then I looked at the men. And I'm saying, Lord, is it true? Could you right here in Ormond Beach, could you do among us what you did among them? I'm just wondering, is there anybody that's ready to see that kind of revival? If you are, give the Lord a praise. I'm going to teach through a couple things, and then we're going to see what God does. Somebody say, atmospheres of revival. How many of y'all want to be in an atmosphere of revival? That's what you want to, to come to church in and be a part of. Number one, 
An atmosphere of revival is full of prayer. God at times puts a longing into people's hearts, so much so that many begin to pray for revival. And that's what's going on at Calvary. We've been calling prayer meetings. We've just come out of a fast. Our, our staff is praying at another level in a new dimension. I can't even describe it to you. In fact, this Wednesday, we're fasting and we're meeting at 12. This Tuesday, we're fasting and meeting at 12 in the youth chapel. If you'd like to come and we're gonna be praying for revival. But understand, as I said in 1857, this revival that came among men, it came because men prayed. And I wanna tell you, we need to pray like we've never needed to pray before. We need to seek the face of God like we've never sought the face of God before. It's time to pray. Our nation needs prayer. Come on, somebody. I said our college campuses need prayer. Our high schools need prayer. Our children need prayer. Our churches need prayer. Our government needs prayer. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me. Our cities need prayer. There are some things that don't shift till you pray. There are some things that don't turn till you pray. But when you pray, things start happening. Is there anybody interested in prayer today? The Bible said in Psalm 69, 13, but as for me, the psalmist said, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear in the truth of your salvation. Here's what the psalmist said. He said, my prayer is to you. He, he said, I, I'm coming to you, God. In times of revival, you pray. In times of revival, you acknowledge that you can't deal with it yourself. In times of revival, you say, I see a world so lost. I see a nation so jacked up. I'm, come on, somebody. Church folks are still sitting around fussing about whether you're singing hymns or courses, and we got young people that don't know whether they're a him or a her. Come on, somebody. We need to get that mess off the table and get revival back to the front and begin to pray. Ah. Come on, somebody. It's time to pray. It's an acknowledgement. He said, my prayer is to you. It was, it was in essence, the psalmist was saying, I can't fix this. I can't repair this. I can't put this back together. So my prayer is to you. It's time to pray, y'all. Because here's what I know. Prayer still works. I need somebody who's ever had God answer a prayer in your life. Stop right now and give him praise. I need a church that's not ashamed to call on Jehovah for your children. Give the Lord praise if you believe prayer still works. I am a product of prayer. Wave at me if you are a product of prayer today. I am a product of prayer and not my own, honey. I mean, I've been sustained by my own prayer and God's been good. But when I was lost and undone, honey, when I was jacked up and messed up, there were people who prayed for me. And I'm telling you, the same God that got me out can get anybody that's in a mess out. It's time to pray. So then, so number one, there's prayer. But then he said this in the text. He said, oh Lord, and the acceptable time in the time of your favor, one translation said. 
I wonder if there's anybody here who needs the favor of the Lord. Okay, watch this. Number one, there's prayer. Number two, there's something called timing. Revival is all about timing. Revival uh, often occurs in times of moral and spiritual apathy in the church and immorality in the land. It is the iniquity. It is the sin, y'all, that makes people ready to pray. And when I look at my nation, America is ripe for revival. Now, y'all know I travel somewhere almost every week. One of the places that I preach frequently is L.A. So when I'm flying, when I preach in, the, in Los Angeles proper, I fly into LAX. And I just read that now in LAX, in the women's bathroom, they have now installed urinals. Y'all ain't saying a word to me. I'm telling you, who wants your six-year-old daughter to walk into a bathroom where a man is standing at a urinal? Y'all help me, Holy Ghost. I'm going to preach it whether you amen me or not. I'm tired of the politically correct, limp-wristed preacher that will not stand up and take the Bible and preach it. We've got transvestites in the pulpit. We let them talk to our children at the library. Where are the pastors that will stand up and say it's time for revival? I am shocked. Is anybody still shocked when you hear something like that? I am shocked. And if it's ever been time for revival, it's time for revival right now. I don't hate nobody. Come on, somebody. I love everybody, everybody. But let me tell you something. I, I'm going to mess y'all up. I'm, I'm going to mess y'all you want to email me, my, my email is anderson at calvaryfl.com. Come on. People go on Google, they'll eat. He, he don't love people. He talks, yeah, we were there. He, you, I can't believe what he said. You go ahead and say that. I don't care. I ain't worried about Google. I'm worried about God. I love everybody. But do you remember that Sunday, honey, when you preached on the blood? And this man came forward, but he was dressed like a woman, and he was pretty, remember? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Girls, you need a man. If you're outside and in a conversation with a man, and at some point he's talking and he goes, That is not your man.
Y'all, I'm preaching better than you're letting on. If, if he's in a conversation at some point, he, he's talking and he does his chest like this. That is not your man. Come on, somebody. If he gets scared and he takes off running and his elbows are touching, that is not your man. Come on. I'm ready for some men that know how to be men that will stand up and be a man in front of this generation. Oh, I'm I'm on it now. See, that's what happens when revival comes. When revival comes, people gain their true identity and they know who they are. Do you remember? Honey, you preached on the blood and, and that man came forward and got straight up delivered. I'm talking about, I'm talking about threw up. I, that's too much for y'all religious folk. I'm talking about delivered, but he came back the next Sunday and we found out that his name was Prince. That was his real name. The one Sunday he came, he was a princess. The next Sunday he was a prince and he stayed in my church for years and he's serving Jesus today. I'm trying to tell you God can still do it. Wound up being a handsome man. Come on. You say, well, Apostle America's in trouble. Here's what I know. When the world is at its worst, God's church must be at its best. If you want to step in the timing of God with me, give God a praise right now. See, we operate on deadlines, appointments, and obligations. But God don't struggle with any of that, y'all. God does not respond to our deadlines. He doesn't respond to our, to our appointments or obligations. What God responds to is hunger. What God responds to is desperation. Revival is stepping into the divine timing of the Lord brought about by his sovereignty and our hunger. It's when the sovereignty of God and the hunger of the church collide. So is there anybody hungry with apostle today? Are you ready to step into the timing of God? So the third thing, I'm moving quickly. In an atmosphere of revival is there is miracle mercy. That means conviction becomes very real. Sin and compromise are dealt with. The church repents. And the cold church gets on fire and then sinners come to Jesus. Have you ever been in an atmosphere, especially in the old days, where so much conviction would come into the house until a wail would hit the room, until a weep would hit the room? And it would be like sinners are inconsolable without the Lord. And I've asked the Lord to do it again. I've asked the Lord to create atmospheres at Calvary where I don't even get to give the altar call, where people are so hungry to repent. Are you ready for miracle mercy in the house? 
When I was growing up, we used to sing this song out of the red back hymnal. Some of y'all know about that old hymn book. And that old song said, yes, I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Yes, I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Oh, I better sing that again, just in case you get a little bit uppity. Just in case you don't think so-and-so deserves to be here. Yes, I know. Yes, I know Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Yes, I know, I truly know Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. So if I believe that, here's my announcement. If you're addicted to drugs, come to my church. If you're an alcoholic, come to my church. If you're a fornicator, oh, it's quiet in here. Come to my church. If you're bound by sexual sin, come to my church. All you liars, come on in. All you prideful folk, come on in. I ain't scared of none of y'all. There is a gospel that will change. We love you. Come on in. We're here for you. Come on in. If you want everybody to come for Miracle Mercy, give God a praise. In atmospheres of revival, drug dealers get saved. Mm. One night when I was a young evangelist, you remember this, Don? I haven't thought about this in decades. We brought people forward and I was praying for folk. And this woman, I laid hands on her. She said, pray for my son. He's the biggest drug dealer in town. And I'm laying hands on her. And in the spirit, I'm saying, you got to come, son. You got to come into this place. We call the biggest drug dealer in town. We call him in. I'm praying for his mama. And the back doors swing open. And the boy, you remember? The boy came walking in and ran to the altars and said, I don't even know why I'm here. I was driving by the church and I heard something in the car say, you better go in there and you better get it right, right now. I need somebody who wants it like that. My God, if you want it like that, give the Lord a praise in here. So revival has miracle mercy attached to it. But the fourth thing, revival is messy. Uh-huh. We want it to be cute, don't we? But a revival church ain't a cute church. Y'all know that by now at Calvary. Y'all know we get some stuff at Calvary. It's messy. We bring folk in who are struggling and we're glad to have them. Come on now. We, we want folks in who have problems and we're glad to have them. It's messy. It's not cute. But I'm telling you, I don't care what people look like. 
I don't care what they smell like. I don't care how many, come on now. Let, let me tell you, I'm glad to be at Calvary. I don't care how many tattoos you got. I don't care how, some people, y'all piercing everything. You're piercing your nose, you're piercing your ears, you're piercing everything. <laughs> piercing your ears, I'm gonna tell you me, I'm going out with the same number of holes I came in with, that's just me. But I'm telling you, I don't care if you got tattoos. I don't care if you're addicted. I don't care if you're messed up. I don't care if you're struggling. Come on in this place, hallelujah. There is a great redeemer in this house. And there are times in revival where you must get comfortable being uncomfortable. And then, and then there are manifestations. Well, apostle, she got baptized in the Holy Ghost. She got weird. Tell somebody, lay your hands on her. She got weird. Listen, she was weird before she was ever filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't you blame the Holy Ghost on that. Holy Ghost didn't have nothing to do with that. Come on, somebody. But in revival, you're going to see things. In, in every major revival, even in the 1700s, they trembled. They couldn't stand. They fell out. They, they could not stand in the presence of the Lord. It happened in every major revival. At Brownsville, they shook. I remember when I went there, young people were trembling. The power of God was so intense. And yes, there were excesses. Yes, there were people who got in the flesh, but you got in the flesh just this week. You just wasn't in church. When you cussed your son out, you got in the flesh. When you shot that person a bird on the road, y'all ain't saying nothing now. You got in the flesh. When you watched that on TV, you got in the flesh. Well, a real folk at now. But now you're going to judge everybody because, hey, listen, they in the flesh. Listen, we're going to have folk who will get in the flesh. Well, aren't you afraid, apostle? They're going to get in the flesh and they're going to have manifestations that are in the flesh. Aren't you afraid of that? Do you want that, apostle? And I say a thousand times yes. I'm fine with people who struggle and maybe they go too far because I tell you this, it's much easier to tone down a fanatic than it is to resurrect a corpse. I said it's easier to tone down a fanatic than it is to resurrect the corpse. It's messy and there are manifestations. But somebody raise your hands and say it with me. Say, Lord, we want revival. It's messy. There are excesses. People act a little crazy. But revival bears fruit. Look at Azusa Street. Everything you see in here, the Pentecostal experience, the multicultural house, is all the way back to Bishop Seymour and the revival that he led on Azusa Street in California. Almost one-third of the Christian world, now beyond one-third, is now spirit-filled. The largest churches in the world are full gospel churches. The biggest church in the world is in North Korea. They have over a million people, I think, now coming. It's a Holy Ghost-filled church.
It's the fastest growing part of God's church. Every, every other part seems to be receding. But the Pentecostal church that was birthed in revival is taking ground. I think about the people. Elijah, is your mom and dad here? Where, where y'all at? Some of my favorites. Stand up, daddy. Hey, did you get saved at Brownsville? Your wife got saved. And y'all, you guys are a product. And you, your son, stand up, son, is a product of the Brownsville revival. I need somebody to give God praise right now. When I look at you, Brother Tate, I look at your wife, and I look what the Lord has done, and it makes you believe in revival, don't it? It makes you know that it doesn't matter how addicted you are or how messed up you are. When God gets ready to bring revival, he'll bring it. Hallelujah. So the last thing before I have Pastor Don come up and we're going to pray a little bit. I've gone a little bit long, but that's okay. Because your neighbor has been so mean this week. <laughs> Look down at him and say, he knows your business. Come on. God doesn't operate on our time schedules. We opened up and let the Holy Spirit move in that worship service. How many of y'all glad that we did? Come on. But finally this, revival, they say, as you study revivals of the past, they're cyclical. What does that mean? That means they have a start, they rise, they crest, they diminish, and then they go out. And that's the revivals that I've studied. But in boldness, I have now asked the Lord to do something different for me. In humility, I've asked the Lord to Jesus tarry for a generational revival. I've asked the Lord don't let me miss it but don't let my children not see it so I've asked the Lord for something to hit our ministries that will cause us to burn in perpetual revival that for the next years as apostle leads this house and leads our campuses that we will burn in revival but sons and daughters will rise up and our hearts will remain pure ah! and our motives will remain right and 20 years from now we will burn in the greatest revival that it will only increase in Jesus' territory 
Is there anybody that believes that we can burn in perpetual revival until Jesus returns? Thank you for joining us for today's message. You can continue to be part of all that God is doing here at Calvary Christian Center. You can text to give at 386-866-3060 or you can visit calvaryfl.com slash give. We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and also to share this podcast with your community, your family, and your friends. You can also stay connected by following us on social media at Calvary FL and by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Again, thank you for joining us.